All right. <laughs> there we go. Again, every week, I'm telling you, we've been doing this now 27 times. And I still have this, like, anxiety always running these opens and the slate and everything. And sure enough, I didn't take the slate off. Nice. All of a sudden, so all of a sudden, you know, we have this big intro and all the thumping music. And then all of a sudden, we're ready to talk. You're alive. And it's just a slate. Nice, man. Well, now you see why the producers make the big bucks, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, we really need, and, and I see why companies do it now, is I would love somebody behind the scenes to be doing our social media. I'm telling you what, social media is, it's, it's, it's necessary. And I, and I do, I, I do hey, feel like it has a purpose, but man, it is exhausting when to we, do social media. When we get out to uh, Salt Lake, which we're yeah. headed to this week, we need to talk to Haley about that. I don't know why, since she runs most of, he and she and Trey run most of the ACLs socials. Maybe they could kind of help us since we are essentially run by the ACL. Maybe. Uh, definitely, yeah. definitely worth the conversation. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's exhausting and it's time. It's time consuming. It's time so consuming. I can, so I can see and, why companies and, hire a social media coordinator. Sure. And I think the generation behind us, millennials, and then obviously Gen Zs, it's secondhand for them. It, it, it's it's something they can do literally while they're falling asleep. They can do yeah. all those posts and how to how to manage the social media correctly. For me, I can do email. Yep, that's about it. I can't I can't figure out the stuff that you send me on Instagram how to repost it. I have no idea how to do it. Well, the problem is you don't have teenagers around the house. I mean, well, literally, I, mean, I, I joke about it, but that, literally, Bernie, that's how I've learned everything from the TikTok videos that I push out, you know, to the little tease clips, you know, the little trailers. Right. It's I mean, hard all to repost that stuff. things on Instagram. That's the thing, though. You have yeah. to kind of do it yourself, and I don't have the yep. the, the information up front to do it. And it's, yeah. So when you send it to me via Instagram, I have no way to repost that. And I mean, um, let's face it, I have yeah. millions of people as followers on Instagram. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, all 25 of them. By the way, my shirt is like annoyingly blue. Wow. Why is it so blue? Is there something? What are you talking about? My shirt. It feels like it's just so blue. It feels like it's just obnoxiously blue. What the hell? It's terrible. Yeah. What, what color is that? That's, it's, uh, I mean, it's blue. It's, yeah. it's definitely blue. It, uh, is it the same color as this hat? I don't, I don't feel like it is. I feel like this is like some sort of like crazy bright blue. No, it looks know. kind of darker I, to me. I pulled it out of my closet. I literally have not worn this shirt probably in years. And I was like, crap, I got to put something nicer on. Like, cause I was just wearing a t-shirt. Hey, you know what? You know, what's great about being older. Doesn't matter. It's having all those kinds of shirts. <laughs> I literally, I was wearing a shirt yesterday that is probably 25 years old. Oh my I, God. Not really 25 years. Oh, oh, for sure. And I think it actually might be back in style. Oh, it could be. It totally could be. I'll never forget when I was, when I was younger going through my dad's clothes. So I was in high school. Right. And, and all of a sudden in high school, I don't know if it was, if it was popular for you guys, we had these button down long sleeve button down and, and with, with tiny pinstripes and the little button you know, the button collar, you know, where it, yeah. it would, it wasn't like a fly collar like this, like a button down. Uh, oh, and my dad's closet was, was filled with them. So they became over. in style. So I would steal one from my dad. But when I was going through his closet one day, I find these jeans, right? And, and these jeans have these huge bottoms on them, like these flare bell bottoms. Oh, the bell bottoms. And nice. for the first time ever, I'm like, dad, I'm like, what are these? 
and I tried them on, you know, and they're being like, like these huge bottom pants and I'm laughing. I'm like, who would ever wear these? And sure enough, what was it? Nineties. Uh, I think 90s. was it in the nineties. Yeah. They came storming back and you know what? They're kind of coming back again. I like think Noel leave. and some of her friends are wearing them. Yeah. I think girls are, I, I think we should leave yeah. bell bottoms alone. I, I think that's one that the seventies just got wrong. You know, the eighties. I love, got, I, I love them. Of course, the eighties got all disagree. the colors wrong. Remember how the eighties was just so bright and all the different colors for everything. Yeah. They got that way off. I love bell the bottoms. Got to go, man. No, I love the seven. I, I think women wearing bell bottoms is sexy. I love women it. wearing bell bottoms. Yeah. Guys, guys, man, I could take it or leave it. Guys but, were but, wearing yeah. bell bottoms in the seventies. Oh, I saying. know. Like I said, my dad, he's probably still has them. And the crazy plaids, like what was happening? Yeah, you know, the, the, my 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 biggest style faux pas. Well, and it wasn't even that I that I feel. I mean, I, I had a lot of faux pas, but the the one thing that I really didn't like that women got into back in the '90s was shoulder pads. Yeah, like, why right? why would you want to wear a sport coat? No, with shoulder pads that yeah. looks like that looks like you know what my dad had to wear when he would go to off to the office in the morning i, I didn't I, like that at all yeah, not not, I, not a good look not so I, I tell you something i got into in the 80s that i kind of stopped doing in the early 90s when i think it kind of caught on everywhere and now seems to be back in some in some ways is pegging your pants oh yeah. you mean when you when you when you cross it over then cross roll it over up. and then roll it up yeah yes we I did, did that. that i did that in the late 80s or mid to late 80s yep. it was kind of cool and then all of a sudden, you know, every kid everywhere started doing it. So I had to quit doing it. But yeah, I was, uh, I, it seems to have come back. Like a lot of the hipsters are doing it again. Yeah. I actually saw an ad for a real estate agent. Um, and it's him like on the, like on the front page of this postcard, you know, like this, you know, like, yeah. and, and like, he's like doing some trick on a skateboard <laughs> and his, and his pants are, are rolled exactly like what you're talking about. Just yeah. like what you so. Yeah, I, I did it. I, I pegged my pants back in the day. It I didn't was, realize that was what it was called. Yeah, man. That, uh, was, uh, that was fashion in like 1986. All right. So again, we're now seven minutes in and all we've done is talk about <laughs> pants. All right. Where do you want to start? I mean, I know exactly where we're starting. You need to talk about Jeff and you're going to talk about that new position you got. Oh, with the real estate. Yes. Okay. Good segue. Speaking of the real estate guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really cool. So we, we were with a company for the last um, year and a half um, since COVID. So maybe two years. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, year and a half, two years. And uh, great company. Awesome training program. You basically go through real estate boot camp. Learn about you learn a lot of law and ethics. I mean, really, they set they set a terrific foundation for you, because one of the big things in real estate is, uh, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a real estate agent, but but this market is crazy everywhere, right? I mean, low right. inventory everywhere. We get it. We all get the story. We've all read the, the, the newspaper. Um, so really something that can set you up to win those bids is what you do with the contract. So it's essential that you learn the, the legalese behind the scenes and be able to set your, your customers, your clients up by putting forth a, you know, a really solid contract. And there's different things you can do with the contract to kind of massage it to make it attractive to the sellers. Anyway, so this company, uh, Carolina One, they were great. I mean, set up a terrific foundation. But Keller Williams Real Estate, which a lot of people have heard of, it's a national company. Sure. This Just this year, they started a sports and entertainment division, which is basically a big nationwide referral program. Sure. And uh, and a buddy of mine, David Wishon, who is a realtor up in Charlotte in Concord, um, area you're familiar with, obviously, he, he kills it up there. He's like seven foot one, seven two. David Wishon, if you're in Charlotte, um, you got to use him. Just a terrific guy, literally a gentle giant. But he played at the College of Charleston, 
And so he bills himself as Charlotte's biggest realtor. Like every, like every, all, you know, all of his marketing stuff says Charlotte's right. biggest realtor. And, and every time he closes a house with his, with his buyers or his sellers, they'll all take a selfie together. And of course he towers over them. Right. I mean, most, right. most of the, of the wives, ba- I mean, barely even get up to like his chest. I mean, he's, right. he's, a, he's a monster. He's an awesome guy. Great realtor. Anyway. So he's with Keller Williams has been ever since he started about four or five years ago. And uh, so he told me about this division. He joined it in Charlotte. They've already had meetings with the Panthers. And so he told me, he said, it's, it's pretty much for former players and coaches, but he told me, he said, dude, he's like, if you come over to Keller Williams, I think you've got a chance to get into that just with your sports broadcasting background. And, and, you know, the little bit of success we've had um, just, just early on in our, in our real estate career. And so I was like, "Ah, okay, well, so I looked into it, applied for it and sent on my resume and uh, sure enough was, was honored to be selected to be part of their sports and entertainment division. And, um, and so we, we jumped in, made the move and crossed over. So now we're with Keller Williams and, and the people have been awesome so far. I mean, it's early on, but just great people who great things about it. So basically what it is, is they're hoping to grow this so that, and I hope I'm not boring people to death. I kind of geek out on this. I've, I've really learned to really like the real estate stuff, but uh, so basically it's like a national <laughs> referral service. So I'm, so I'm like, like on the highest level, right? And not that this is going to happen, but let's say Patrick Mahomes, right? He's in he's in Kansas City. He's got a Keller Williams rep. He buys a house in Kansas City. All of a sudden, they have conversations, and he's like, "You know what? I've always heard really great things about Kiowa Island in South mm-hmm. Carolina." Boom, phone call comes to me. Mahomes and his wife come to South Carolina. I show them some homes in Kiowa. That's that's how they're kind of hoping that it works. But it's with sports people. It's with entertainment figures. It's just it it's kind of offering uh, more of like a boutique. You know, so different so, type of experience. So let me get this right. So now you're going to be dealing with people that are buying high end luxury homes. So you're about to start making large dollars in the real estate business, is what you're telling. Well, I mean, that's the in, in theory, yes. <laughs> but but again, it's 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 in theory. It's early on. I th- I think it's a great. I mean, I I read through I read through their business model all their flyers and, and, uh, and everything and, and uh, that they sent me. And I really like the business model. Will it work? I don't know. It's a good idea. I mean, again, they're already having, I know they already had, you know, uh, conversations with the Panthers. I mean, that, that's probably going to be more realistic. You know, the Keller Williams folks getting in with the Panthers and then, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a staff member who's interested in having a second house, you know, in Myrtle beach or out here in the Charleston area. So I help them with that. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, when you get up into Nags head, um, well, I shouldn't say Nags Head. That's pretty expensive, obviously. But just just north of Myrtle Beach, just into North Carolina, there's some there's some ocean properties that still aren't you know two or three million dollars. You can still get in you know for the several hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a big ticket item, but it could be. I don't know, man. It's pretty nice beaches up through there. I mean, you get out to yeah. Great Island, but I think that's actually a limited who gets to buy and sell out there anyway congratulations thanks i mean yeah i I appreciate you bringing it up i'm I'm truly excited about it because i have absolutely loved being in real estate we obviously have so many friends in the area just from my days at the college of charleston i've lived here for almost 13 years now and uh no no, 12 years 12 years uh next month but um you know so love helping them and now to be able to take on maybe some national um clients you know, in the sports and entertainment yeah. world. It'd be that'd great. be awesome. Yeah, I'm jealous, be a lot I'm of fun. jealous man. I'm, I've always been jealous of the fact that you live in Mount Pleasant. I mean, I lived there for a decade and, you know, it was just awesome. I yeah. wasn't doing anything 
work-wise. I mean, I was just kind of odd job here, odd job there. And what I mean by that is I worked at Kiowa, you know, as a caddy at the ocean course, yeah. uh, you know, worked in food and beverage, blah, blah, blah. I did all those kinds of things. So I never had a career while I was there, which right. probably made it more enjoyable, right? I wasn't tied down, just worried about my job and my career. So I was able to kind of enjoy the area. But man, yeah. I, I miss it. I mean, if you're not, if you're watching this and you're from another part of the country, go to Charleston, just trust yeah. me. It's a beautiful part of the world. And, and you know, when you know, when you live someplace for a while, you take it for granted. We all do. Yeah. And and when I really notice it is after coming back from a long road trip, like as much as I love going to Las Vegas, right? It's so exciting to go to Vegas. I love going out west. I love going to Phoenix. When you come back to Charleston and back to Mount Pleasant, you fly in and you drive around this area and you drive over the bridges and all the little inlets and the creeks and the rivers and the, and the, yeah, the coast. It's so beautiful. That's when you really that's when you realize it the most. And I wish I, I wish you could it. have seen it back because i moved there it was four years after hugo right so everything was yeah. just starting to come back and you didn't have you know for example the big bridge to charleston mount pleasant that didn't exist you had the two old rickety bridges yeah. that, that looked like erector sets that have been placed over the cooper river but I, I, rem I remember that bridge because i was in the minor leagues back in the 90s before the ravenel bridge was built yeah. So we're on a bus, right? On a minor league bus, we would play. We, I, I was with the Greensboro Bats, and the, the trip Dogs. was, yeah. Well, so we would have to play Fayetteville first, though. Okay. So, so we'd go from 17? Greensboro to Fayetteville, do a four-game series in Fayetteville, then drive down to Charleston, play Charleston, then we go down to Macon, and then all the way back to Greensboro. It was a brutal, brutal trip. <laughs> but that trip from Fayetteville down to Charleston, we'd have to go across the Ashley River Bridge or the uh, the uh, Cooper River Bridge. The yeah. Cooper River Bridge, yeah, and. Um, and that's back when you know. Remember, it had the one the the one side of the bridge had the lanes that were like literally right next to each other. Oh yeah. And so here we are in a bus, and Bernie, <laughs> God forbid, and it always happened, there was an eighteen wheeler coming down the other side, and we do this right next to one of those things. The whole bus would like shake while you're on it, right? That was dangerous. I mean, it was dangerous for, yeah. for those of us that like. Okay, so the cops were really bad on the uh, on the Mount Pleasant side because they're just especially when people were coming over, they're just. They're just waiting for people to make mistakes coming over from Charleston if they've gone out to eat or whatever, had too much to drink. So that's, the cops were really bad in Mount Pleasant because they had back then nothing else to do. There was no crime to speak of. There was no. none of that at, back then. But you could fly across those bridges if you were daring enough because there were no police there. There were no, you know, there was nothing there. So if, if you yeah. got in the middle of the day and no one was in front of you, you could fly <laughs> across those bridges. <laughs> But it yeah. was it was harrowing, man, because it was tight. It was you so do tight. so at your own risk. Yeah, it was so tight. But yeah. I, yeah, I remember those fondly. I they're not they were nowhere near as attractive as the Ravenel bridge, obviously. Gosh, I mean, the Ravenel they they did and they did such a great job too because you know whoever was in charge of building it had the foresight to realize the growth of the area, right? They had all right. the numbers. And so they built it. So it's an eight lane yeah. suspension bridge. It's, it's awesome. They just didn't do two on each side, which they easily could have done to save money. Mm -hmm. They decided to make it four lanes on either side. So an eight lane, if you haven't seen it, if someone's listening, if you just Google Ravenel Bridge, South Carolina, you'll see it is, it, I mean, it's really an engineering marvel. And they actually cool. have tours that you can actually take where you get in a boat and you go down. And they've it's been built uh, for hurricanes. It's been built for terrorism. It's been, I mean, there's all kinds of, of structures kind of behind the scenes oh, yeah. with the engineering of it that I never even knew until you took a little, a little tour. But it's, it's, it's really fascinating. 
another yeah another part sorry i guess we've turned to the chamber of commerce for charleston today <laughs> another part that i really like is when i used to go over back in the day north charleston when you came over the bridges right there was awful yeah awful and they've turned it into kind of like an arts district with some restaurants and galleries now kind of yep. right where those and that that's pretty cool because when i lived there that was really really sketchy yeah, there, really there's an there's an area now, Bernie, that would blow your mind called Park Circle in yeah. North Charleston, in North Charleston, and it's become such a, such a trendy place. Like it was dangerous. Oh yeah, dangerous. And North Charleston still has bad crime stats sure. if you look if you look it up. Matter of fact, I think it I think the city of North Charleston is actually the most dangerous by the numbers per in the capita. state of South yeah, yeah in the state of South Carolina. But that being said, the Park Circle area now you wouldn't even believe it. It's so cool and trendy with the restaurants and shops. And now down by the naval yards, they have this whole riverfront area. Oh yeah, and um, that was all uh, such trash. When Darius I... Rucker's going to have a huge musical festival now. That he's starting down there, and it's going to be it's it's beautiful. So it's yeah, cool because it was such trash when I lived there. No offense to anyone that's ever grown up in a place like that, not your fault. But it was just dangerous. Yeah. And speaking of North Charleston, when I lived there and I worked in a bar in North Charleston at that time, its murder rate was the highest in the country per capita. Mm, wow, because it was so small. Yeah. population wise but there was it was dangerous in places yep. of north charleston but they've cleaned yep, up sure. a lot of that but you know what do you do with the people but that's a whole another yeah it's a whole another conversation but anyway I how do we get into that how the because oh, the whole real estate thing yeah yeah, yeah. I miss but yeah charleston. all right so yeah so let's let's yeah super excited though about the promotion and the switch of companies and um yeah another great thing about keller williams is that let's say jay rubin you know i'm talking to him and he's like dude can you help me at all? You know, I'm looking for a new place in the Chicago area, whatever. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. So now we have this whole network of people. I that, see what you're doing. That we can work with. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's like, it's, 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 so it's not just focused in one area. It's, it's like a nationwide, you know, national network of, of, uh, of agents. So yeah. I don't know. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Congratulations. Thanks brother. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. it. Um, seriously, we have so many things to talk about. Um, and to bounce around about social media, I, I, I thought maybe we'd start there just real quick. I was thinking about it this week. Like, have you ever thought about, well, you, I guess it really doesn't apply to you. I wonder if there's anyone other there out there who's thought about this. I would love to take social media off my phone. I've brought this up with you before. I seriously think it's rotting my brain. Yes, yeah, and I and I think I, I think I find myself spending more and more time on it. I wonder yeah. if anyone else is that like like the, I just want my phone to do GPS. I want it to do music, texting, and calling. Obviously, like I, I don't I don't think I want to do Facebook and Instagram. And I don't Twitter. think we're going I'm, backwards with technology anytime soon. But I mean, I you can always take it off your phone. You can always take it off. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I mean, I need I really need it for work, but I can do it on my computer. You know, all that stuff. I was, I was thinking about maybe just taking the apps off my phone. You can. Just for like a month. You can dump them all if you want. I bought uh, David Grohl's book. So I'm going to yeah. try I'm gonna try and start reading again because I told you I haven't read it all. So. That should be I interesting. I, look, social media to me is. I got to do something. It's killing me. I mean, look, I, if, if you look at what's going on right now with social media, the biggest thing being Twitter and Elon Musk buying Twitter. It's so funny to me, and I don't mean to get off in a political rant here, but it's so funny to me how both, to? Well, but both sides <laughs> are, are, are seeing this as some sort of victory, right? Like, you know, because yeah. Elon Musk. Is, as with everything, right? But he's he is a Bond villain. 
And it, it's so funny that people can't see it. I mean, this guy, he doesn't, he doesn't care about free speech in the sense that he's, he wants everyone to be able to say whatever they want, whenever he doesn't care. He just wants to control the information. He wants all the power. He actually right now is wealthier than some countries on this planet. And he's trying to control all the information. He is literally a bond villain. And then, you know, on the other side of it, he's doing all these things for the betterment of society, right? Electric cars, taking average citizens into space, but he's a bond villain. This man, you watch in 10 to 20 years, something's going to have to be done about this man. How about the tunnels that he's like boring underneath Los Angeles? Dude is a Bond villain. I mean, you watch, he's going to end up living on some island and holding the world <laughs> ransom, you know, for one. To be like Dr. Evil? <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> he is so crazy. Uh, and he's going to end up being able to do it because he's found a way to have everyone agree with him. Have you ever listened to him like on Joe Rogan's podcast where, where it's like where it's like long form interviews? No. I feel like his his brain, I think, works at such an incredibly high level that I think it's hard for him sometimes to verbalize what exactly he's thinking about. So when he speaks, yeah. sometimes he like has to stop. Yeah. And then he'll start again. It's it's like he has to try and and, Catch and back up. you you can almost convert you know, his thoughts in his brain, which are electronic and at a different level into like English. It's so strange to listen to him talk in long form conversations. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's, uh, it's, it's, and he's it's, South, you know, he's South African and he's somehow gotten rid of that accent, which is pretty impressive, by the way, however he managed to do that. Yeah. You can hear a little bit of it, but yeah, a little bit. but uh, yeah. yeah, he's, I don't know, man, I could go on about this. We are so silly about how we get so wrapped up into being in this party or that party. And we're not paying attention to the people that are really doing things that are really starting to take control. And it's not countries, it's people. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I mean, it's people like Elon Musk and a few others that are really starting to control all the wealth. Yeah. Serious money and serious power. And they yeah. scare me. They scare me. Like, like they don't seem to scare other people. They frighten me. I'm terrified of what that man wants to do once he's accomplished what he wants to accomplish. Because then he'll have all the power. He'll control all the information. He'll literally be able to do whatever he wants. I don't mean to take a right turn. It's crazy. I don't mean to take a right turn on you, but but again, you can take a left turn. That's the great thing I'm on the show. We're all over the place. Yeah. It's funny talking with Girls Throw too this this week. Yeah, had, I was a, gonna ask had a that. had a great interview with uh, Whitney and Mish and then Stephanie Steph who just who just joined them. But had a great conversation. I think I think it'll drop. I don't know, maybe later this week, but had a great conversation. Well. Yeah, had a great conversation with them about Mother's Day and just um, other stuff behind the scenes. But uh, but anyway, you know, they were asking about the show, and I'm like, we're a hot mess. We're all over the place. But so so speaking of of uh, of one single guy and a fear, so Kathy and I started binging Mind Hunter yeah. on Netflix. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I am hooked. We're we're on we're on episode six. Oh, first season. Uh, of season one. Yeah, there's only two yeah. seasons, unfortunately. That, that's yeah. my only that's my only fear of this is that it's gonna end too soon for me. But we figure we jump in. But so you so I think you'll remember this. The yeah. first serial killer that they interview, the six foot nine guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but basically the theory so of creepy. it, it's, it's 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 a modern day, well, that's probably five years old now, but it's so it's a modern day series, Netflix series, but it's based back in the 70s, 1977. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's before cell phones, it's before social media, it's before video cameras, 
uh, all the surveillance, you know, the fancy surveillance that we have on the interstates and all that kind of stuff. So really the cops had to piece together via interviews with, with, you know, the barbershop, with the beauty, you know, shop, the, the tattoo parlor, the, the bartender. I mean, they, they had to go and actually interview, which they still do, I'm sure. But they literally had to interview all these people. So, so these two or FBI agents have this, you know, crazy idea. Hey, maybe we can use serial killers that we have locked up and try and glean some information to help us catch um, at-large serial killers. So they start interviewing some of the worst serial killers, you know, in the history of America. But the first guy, and I can't think of his name now, but the first serial killer, the guy who's six foot nine, mm-hmm. whoever plays this guy, Bernie, oh, yeah. when he walks into the room on camera, it's, it's frightening, like literally. And then, and then he sits down and you just feel, I mean, he's a gentle giant, right? But he's got this mustache with a weird part, kind of a comb over. He's not a real old guy, real thick glasses, super nice, super intelligent, but yet frightening as hell, right? On the screen. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, so far it's brilliantly written. I, I love it. It's, it's, yeah, mind, it's uh, mind hunter. If you haven't seen it, it, the show was based on the behavioral sciences department, the FBI and how yeah. it got its Genesis and how they used it later to catch, say the Unabomber. They used it to catch other people like your talk BTK, so on and yeah. so forth later. And yeah, that guy, I can't remember his name, but he's another, he was in the umbrella Academy actually as another killer, but in the same kind of vein, very big, but gentle giant type person. Yeah, yeah he, he plays that role so well. Oh my God, he's an incredible actor. He's so good. Actually, yeah. there's, you know, that's based on real people within the FBI, and when you see those real yeah. people, it's kind of a letdown because they're, uh, yeah, they're they're not remarkably like nerdy. Yeah, like they're like they're not. Yeah, they're not like cool FBI guys. Put it right. that way. I mean, they were the ones that were shunned off into one corner, and it, it worked out that they were pretty good. And then you'll see in season two, not to give things away, how they yeah. help in figuring out the Atlanta child murders. Okay. I, I heard season two gets really good. And then it ends. And it's supposed to come back, but but most 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 of my hunter nerdy people, they don't think it's gonna come back. COVID killed a lot of stuff. I mean, COVID COVID really hurt uh Netflix, Amazon Prime, because you have all these shows in development, then you have to stop. Yeah. And right. then to get schedules back and all the same people back involved is really difficult like ozark for me is probably one of my top five shows of all time and i just finished binging the last episode uh two nights ago so that's pretty upsetting that shows oh my gosh ozark's one of my favorites have you seen the last seven oh yeah 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 it it was sad it was it was it was was, (laughs) again i don't want to i don't want to spoil it for anybody but it 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 really shocked me there's been the the way yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, someone had to go. We're not going to talk about it. I was going to say, I, was gonna say. I, go. I don't know how to say this one. All right. So, so the very, the, the last, the last two events, right. Yeah. Which happened, which happened pretty, pretty quick. Um, one of them surprised me. Um, one of them didn't, but one of them really surprised me. Yeah. What I like, I'll, t- I'll tell you when we're done. I don't, I don't want to ruin it for somebody. What I like is that they, I was sad. I was sad. When one of them as there. much as they tied it up in a bow, they didn't. Oh, I know. I'm totally with you. Yeah. I mean, it was left completely open. I mean, you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. But they tied it up kind of, but they didn't. They left it completely open. Let's say in three years, if everyone decides, man, that was a really good show. Let's do it again. 
I guess it's possible, but they, they all claim that they're done with it. But man, yeah, it's my, yeah, that writing is amazing. It's such a good show. I know. I loved it. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. But Mind Mindhunter has been really good. I, like I said, Mindhunter was good. But I'm see, just... Mindhunter was a show that was killed by COVID. Yeah, it, it, it was 2018, 2019 were those two seasons. Right. And then COVID hit. I think they were planning on a third season. They were. COVID. They were planning on five. Yeah, and, and then COVID hit and destroyed it all. Yeah. The only the only thing with Mindhunter that was that was uh, a little, and I'm just now getting over it. Um, and I can't remember the guy's name, but all right. So there's the two FBI guys, right? Mm-hmm. Not not the older, rugged guy. Yeah. But but the the good looking, younger, yeah. handsome guy. I can't remember his his name. That actor's name. It was hard for me to get past it because he's also the same guy who played King George, in in Hamilton and like the yeah. Broadway, um, series of Hamilton. Yeah. And he is so good as King George. He also I mean, played when he Tommy comes Lee. Out and sings and it's yeah. just, it's outrageous. And it's, it, I mean, and he is an incredible actor, Broadway yeah. and an amazing singer. So I had to get past his role as King George now as an FBI agent. He's but also, he's also that. Tommy Lee on that Pam and Tommy show on, uh, oh, I haven't seen on it on Hulu. It's, it's nothing special, but yeah, he's a pretty versatile guy. Yeah. So I had to get past that. I mean, two completely different roles, but yeah. most of the stage people are pretty good. Oh yeah, when they get when they go to screen, even though it's a different style of acting. But most of the stage people can handle it. It's a little bit tougher for the TV for the camera people to go right. on the stage because it's kind of a different style of acting. But yeah, yeah, he's he's really good. Sebastian Stan, I believe, is his name. Um, that's the guy who played King George, who was Which, the FBI agent. Uh, let me make sure. But yeah, it's I can't remember what's his name. I know I was going to Google it while you were talking, but I'm yeah, trying. I'm trying go. to be. A, I'm trying to be a better listener. What his oh name gosh. is, if that thing would get up, Jordan Groff. Sorry, yes, that's it. Yeah, Sebastian yeah. Stan's the other guy. Yeah, there's some <laughs> he was so good as Jordan, or I mean, as uh, King George. God, he was good. He was good. I mean, I didn't see it on Broadway, but I I saw it on uh, uh, whoever helped, whoever filmed it. It was either Apple TV or Amazon actually filmed. Yeah, the one that was actually televised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's the guy. That that's in that in that in that performance, uh, he plays he plays King George. Yeah, yep. He Super was the good. original King George on Broadway. All right, so we got like twenty minutes left, and I do I do want to get to uh, meet Jeff and Bernie because because kind of a serious deep topic that you and I touched on before we came on. I want to talk about, but first, got to touch on some cornhole. This past weekend was huge in Sacramento and in Canada. I don't know. I don't know how much you want to talk about it, how much you want to get into it. I mean, Anthony and Trey and Mish did did, did an outstanding job, like covering yeah. all of it on around the ACL. So if you want to watch all their coverage on around around the ACL, you can. Sacramento, dude, was stacked. That field really was stacked. I mean, when I looked at, at who finished in the top ten, there's some big, big names out there. So that's uh... yeah. The opens, the opens to me, and just from what I've seen, there are some that have been truly stacked, more like nationals. Look, there's pros in every open. But it's how deep does that pro list go? I thought it was pretty deep in Sacramento. Did you not? I mean, it's, it was an average open. I mean, I think there have been some that have been deeper. I mean, just because they finished high doesn't mean the field was stacked. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, and I just looked at the top 10 finishers. Yeah. And, I mean, seven of the top 10, I knew, boom, right away. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, the open series for me, I think, is a way for – Folks that aren't pros, a way to qualify for next season. Mm-hmm. I think those that are using it properly. 
Uh, I think it's a way from what I've seen for pros to kind of keep their game honed up in between, in between nationals without, you know, just going to their local blind draw, which they all do anyway. But as far as I think the open series gives them a better chance of keeping everything kind of, you know, enough bags in the air. Yeah. But like, you know, we've talked about not using, you know, the vast majority of them don't use their own doubles partner. So I think that's not really helping. Yeah. But I, I think I'm the Open you. Series has been a really good measuring stick for for the non-pros to see where their game is. All because right, so- you, you're going to have part of that group be professional and some of that, some of those pros be the elite level pros. And so you're going to get in that good idea of where your game is. So I, I think that's that's really what it's been used for. So for my, you, for my estimation. So do you not want to put too much then into the fact that Noah and Ryan won it? No. Okay. They don't play together. No, that's what I mean. That's that's why that's what made I me mean, think. What is that? that? I mean, because I was really I was really happy to see both of those guys just win. Like I, I I think it's awesome, but you know once again Noah's not using those bags when he plays. I mean I, it's just. I think it's awesome. I think it's good for them, but does it help them going into Salt Lake City? Nah. Marginally, yeah, marginally. I think. Well, until you, you know what, I, I, you know, I will agree with you a hundred percent until someone proves us wrong. Because again, for me, small sample size, but I think it'll be interesting to keep track of how I much think, does success in the Opens translate to success in the Nationals? That's what you're saying, forth. right? Uh, because if you go back and you look at people like Mark Richards, if you go back and look at people like Matthew Creekkiller, those guys kind of burst onto the scene in the Opens. Yeah, good point. And then have followed through going into the Nationals. But ever since then, since those guys have come onto the scene, it you know, other than Jimmy Humans and, and maybe one or two other guys, I don't know if anyone's really used it as a springboard. You know a perfect example? Let's see how Ryan Smith does. Yes this week. And if Ryan Smith uses it as a springboard, all of a sudden places really high in singles and in doubles in Salt Lake City, yep. there's a lot of value. You can say, wow, look what the Open did for him. But if we get the same national performance out of Ryan Smith that we did before his Open win, what did it mean? All right. That is a great point, and I just wrote it down. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's Seriously. Well, you better so give Ryan me credit Smith, for it when you talk about it on TV. Ryan Smith, Ryan Windsor, and Noah Wood. No, I mean, something that we can talk about on the, on the podcast next week. Yeah. You know how much how much did recent success at the open level help these guys? I mean, look at Jordan at Power. Jordan well, Power. I was, I was just going to really say, well. I was just going to say. So switching over to Canada, mm-hmm. that was going to be my burning question for you. Nice. We got to start this. I mean, we have to start this segment. It's okay. a natural like burning, burning, burning yeah. question. I, so I that was going to be my burning question for you. Was uh, how much weight do you put in the incredible weekend that Jordan Power had in Canada? I think he and Jimmy McGuffin, I think I'm more interested in how, I mean, Jordan Power is Jordan Power at this point. I think he's kind of proven himself at what level he is as a player. Yeah. I'm more interested to see how Jimmy McGuffin uses that as a springboard, possibly. And a player like Timmy Jonas, who played very well. Yeah. Is he able to use that as a springboard to maybe kind of move up the ladder, so to speak, in the pro division in nationals? Because look, the talent level is so deep in the nationals. It's just, it's so hard. It's so hard for the players that we we're so used to from 2018, 2019, even into 2020, mm-hmm. who those names used to be. Well, those names aren't the same names anymore. You know, outside of Matt Guy and Jamie Graham, I mean, even Trey Birchfield's taking giant steps backwards this year. 
right? I mean, you were I've talking about I've you're talking about like the best player in the world yeah. who's now struggling to stay in the top twenty. His mechanics, I'm telling you, I I called it whenever that was a couple months ago, right at right right at I the start of confident. this of the year. I'm with you. I think it's more his confidence level. I think yep. it's just drop. I mean, this I this think, this I, up I here he, is affecting yeah. his mechanics. I think yeah, absolutely. I think he's and he, I think he's also aware of now how many other players there are that can beat him. Where before, I think he might have thought of just a few. Interesting. Now there's a, a much larger, you know, group of players that can beat him when he's playing well. Yeah. And I think that's affected him mentally. And I don't know if he's gotten over it yet. I mean, he's still good enough to get over it. But you know, and at that age, once your once your you know facade cracks a little bit, it's tough to put it back together at that age because you don't have the emotional building blocks to do so when you're so young, right? That that teenage bravado yep. once it gets cracked, it's kind of hard to put that house back together again. It takes a while. I was just gonna say. I mean, that's something that you've been talking about for a while with these young players. Let's follow them from middle school to high school and then into adult life, where all right. of a sudden now you're on your own. Now you have bills. Now you have responsibilities. Now you have pressures. Now you're more aware of all of those pressures, right? And feelings around you. And maybe, maybe this, maybe this is, maybe that's what we're seeing with Trey. Maybe because I mean, we, he really, he really burst out of the scene when he was still in high school. And I think it's more, I would say some of the more, well, that doesn't make sense with Trey really, but I was thinking about Jacob Trzinski who we had on the show last week. He was great by the way, his bravado, his energy. It's he's the kind of kid that I would worry about that when things went terribly South for him in this game, if that would spiral because it's so much emotion, because when you have that much emotion, you're going to have the same amount negatively as you are positive, right? You're going to have just, I mean, it's, it could, it could turn very quickly as to diving in on yourself. And then that spirals down a little rabbit hole emotionally. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that I think the people that are more even killed tend to do better, but who's more even killed than Trey Birchfield? Even though we've seen more emotion out of him, we've seen more frustration. Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious. I mean, and Ryan Smith is someone that I thought has been fighting himself for a while now and wondering if he still had it. So it is going to be fun to see if he can kind of capitalize on the momentum. I, I think it's an interesting question going back to do the opens matter? I think they matter, obviously. Mm-hmm. But are they as important to the high end professional as they are some of your higher end am- not amateurs, but you know, your advanced yeah. players? Yeah, well, I mean, this this will be this will be great. Let's, I mean, let's start just kind of informally tracking it. So next Absolutely. next week, next week, I wrote it down. Let's make sure we talk about Ryan Smith, Ryan Windsor, Noah Wooden, and and Jordan Power. Yeah, kind of track them and see what happens this week in Salt Lake City. I'm so fired up. I've never been to Salt Lake City, and uh, I've heard it's absolutely gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I've, I've seen it from the airport. I haven't seen it from anywhere else. I've never even connected in Salt Lake City. Never, never been there. It's pretty crazy because you come right over the mountains into that airport. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard it's beautiful. So yeah, right, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. You ready for uh, meet Jeff and Bernie? Why not? Okay, so I'm I'm not sure. We'll we'll, we'll see where this goes. Who knows? Like with everything else. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much this is going to be meet Jeff and Bernie. Maybe a little bit, but uh, so there is. And, and anyone who follows me on on Facebook, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I happened to read a story about a preteen young boy. Uh, his first name is Drake, and. Um, he was having thoughts of suicide and it's a tragic, tragic story 
because he had made a comment to his parents about how just because of his environmental um, pressures and the bullying that he was getting um, at school and just, just, you know, in his world that he was beginning to feel like he was an evil person. And, Mm -hmm. and he was basically telling his parents, I can't, I can't get these thoughts out of my head to, to make a awful story short. He takes his own life. I think he was 12 years old, Bernie. I mean, it's, it's, it's a just awful story. So sad and so tragic. But anyway, it has started this effort that I just started getting into and I'll get more information on it. I'm going to jump in in on it just, just, you know, just personally. Um, but it's bags against bully bullying. And, um, and I, you know, I'm going to do some research on it and maybe it's, maybe it's something that, that we can help them with a little bit, like, cause I'm going to jump in on, on my end. Um, but it just kind of made me think about my experiences with me personally and with my kids. And it is so important. Like my daughter is going through, and it's not cause she's being bullied, but the kids these days, I, I feel like have so much pressure again, going back to the social media. Um, there's so much pressure. They can't escape it. I mean, poor Noel, she, she gets it all day at school and then she comes home and it doesn't end like Bernie, when you and I came home from high school, you know, yeah, we had the phone, but it wasn't in your face. I mean, if if there's some drama going on at school, it continues all day, you know, and then maybe you get a little reprieve reprieve because you sit down at six o'clock and you eat dinner and then it continues again at night and it can go overnight. And then you wake up to it the morning before school and then it starts all back over again. But there's a lot of pressure. So bullying now is not even just something if you're getting it at school where you can leave it at home. Yeah. So anyway, it's 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 bags against bullying, and uh, they had a huge event this past weekend down in uh, down in in uh, Louisiana, huge success. And uh, it got me to thinking. I don't know if you if you've experienced it, but but like um, my son experienced it here in in Mount Pleasant, and. Um, and I, and I feel terrible for him because he hid it from me for years. I didn't find out. This was going on when he was like 14 years old. He didn't tell me until he got about 16 or 17 years old. But, you know, he was coming home and he wanted, like a perfect example, he wanted me to buy him Nike Rochers, which were huge, you know, going back eight years ago or so, eight, nine years ago. And I said, all right, I'm not buying you Nike Rochers because I can't afford them. I will buy you some new Nikes if you need if you need new shoes, <laughs> but I'm not getting you monogrammed, you know, custom Nike Rochers. Right. Well, so he was going to school, and because he didn't have Nike Rochers, he was getting bullied, Bernie, mercilessly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this until years later. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I could see warning signs because he was upset and he was depressed, but it's hard to tell as a parent, right? Is is this serious? Is it not serious? Is it related to something else? Is it grades? Is it girls? Is it? I mean. I didn't, I guess I never thought in the back of my mind, he's really being bullied, you know, because of shoes. But the problem is, is that not only is the act of that sickening, but it stays with you. It stays with you forever. Derek will live with that forever. And it got me to thinking back in middle school, I remember being bullied. It was terrible. And, and, and there were two guys in particular in high school who bullied me. And it started in band, right? I mean, I was a drummer. I played in band. They were in band too. Um, and I'll never forget there was a day in band. And again, this is probably seventh or eighth grade. And they started this chant under their breasts where the teacher couldn't hear it. Jeff, Jeff, teacher's pet. Jeff, Jeff, teacher's pet. It stuck with me my whole life, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of sounds funny. But at the time, it was devastating. And I hated that. And you know me. I mean, I, we all have our insecurities, right? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, by the way that we look or the way that we appear on camera or just whatever, you know, we've talked about, about this before, but so we all have our insecurities to hear that as a teenager, you know, as a young teenager, it sticks with you your entire life. Matter of fact, it was so damaging to me because I was a great student. I was all A's. And, and once those comments started, I, believe it or not, I intentionally started to do bad on tests so that I wouldn't get A's so that they would stop teasing me about being teacher's pet. That's, that's how it affects you. And it can stay with you your entire life. Again, I remember that in band class, like it was yesterday. And, and, and if there's anything I can do to even stop one person from doing that, to me, that's a huge success. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. I, I got bullied, but I don't know, man. I, uh, I went about it differently, I guess. I, uh, being so Punch small, him in the throat. <laughs> stand, I stood up for myself. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, that was I, like, I was either going to be, and I, it was a conscious, and I remember this, it was a conscious decision in eighth grade. So what, 13 years old, conscious decision, yeah. either I'm going to take this crap and be the kid that has no friends and sits in the corner by himself, or I'm going to stand up for myself. I stood up for myself. And did it stop necessarily? I mean, maybe. But, I mean, it never happened in such a physical way anymore. You know, I just, but not everyone will do that. And not everyone can do that. And that's, you know, and, and some bullies are worse than others. I mean, some will literally, you know, physically hurt. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know which is worse, the physical bullying or the, or more of that emotional torment. I don't know. I don't know if you can pick one. It's a good question. I, mean, I, I know, know for I me, lucky. verbal, verbal is damaging enough. Yeah, I was lucky in that I played sports and I was also in, I mean, I kind of, I played, I was on, you know, I was kind of a chameleon, you know, I I knew how to play, you know, no matter what room I was in, I could fit into that room. And I think that actually is an amazing skill to have as a human being. It's the one skill that I think I have that not everyone has. No no matter what room you put me in, I'm going to fit into that room. Yep, I agree. And I was able to do that, but I think that was a learned skill. That was a learned skill because I didn't want to be alone anymore kind of thing. And so I was like, you know, I'll, whatever it takes to have friends, I'm going to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a learned skill, but one that I was, but I mean, I got bullied a lot when I transferred over in eighth grade to the school that I ended up, you know, it was kind of the old money, old wealth school. Yeah. And they were ruthless kids, man. They were ruthless kids. Yeah, it is. But, but I just, I don't know, man. I, I hated it at the time. I absolutely couldn't stand it. But somehow I was able to turn that into all these people being some of the best friends that I had for my entire life. So, I mean, it was the people, wait a second, the people who were bullying you. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, you just you turn it around on people. You in some ways, it's like a rite of passage, right? You get you 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 take shit and then you learn to fight through it. And if you don't Mm -hmm. learn to fight through it, you're one of those people that just gets bullied forever. And I just wasn't going to be one of those guys. Yeah. And I knew, and I knew kids like that. And I knew kids that they kept bullying and it was like, yeah, I mean, aren't you guys tired? <laughs> All right. It's like, don't you just want to be friendly to people? It's a lot easier just to be yeah. nice to people. But I mean, I can honestly say I probably wasn't the nicest kid as a 16, 17 year old at times. So I was never mean. I was never a mean spirited kid, but I could, you know, I, I don't know. It, I think bullying is awful. I think it's a sign of insecurity. First off, I think the people that bully other people tend to have such huge insecurities. They're just kind of hiding behind all that. But, you know, it's tough to tell a 12, 13, 14 year old that's what's happening. Right. 
because you know, regardless if that's what's really happening, it's mm-hmm. still happening to them on the other side of it. So I don't know. It's it's tough. I I wish kids had it. It's tough because the only way to combat it really is to wear it on your sleeve in a way. Be like, okay, cool. Is that all you got? I mean, like, like the easiest way to combat it is to make it not hurt. Like if it's not if it's not having an effect on you, they will stop. They will find someone else where they know their effort is is working. That's what I that's what I did. I mean, I just I basically just yeah. Like, I just really? I just pretended like it didn't bother me. Is that but, all you but, got? But, you got to do better than that. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. I mean, I never, I never, one time, one time it was a physical altercation, and my dad would always tell me, you know, if you're gonna do it, get your shot in first. So, <laughs> so I did. <laughs> so I right? did. But but then I lived in fear, right? Then I lived in fear of, Winch, of retribution. Winch, you know, yeah, I mean, of, retaliation of, coming. Yeah, yeah, of retaliation. Yeah, of, of revenge. I just lived in fear because the guy, the dude was way bigger than me. So down the hallways, I'm like looking to see he's going by me, you know, wondering if I'm going to get sucker punched. Yeah. So, so to me, that was not the way to handle it. But I guess, I guess the bottom line is with this whole. But thing, did he ever do anything? He did not. Exactly. Yeah. But. Um, so basically, yeah. the point of this, kids, if you can knock somebody out, do it. Do it before they do it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we only got thirty seconds left. But I guess my point <laughs> is, is that, is that this, this is how damaging it is, right? I mean, the fact that I'm still you know, talking about it today. Yeah. 30 year 35 years later 35 almost 40 year almost 40 years later yeah i remember it and and that's how damaging it is so again i'm going to try and get involved with this we'll have more information as, as yeah. we go along but but uh we'll talk about it in salt lake see what see what's really going on see who all these folks are yeah yeah i hope that they're there yep i'll get some more information this week but anyway all right man as always it's crazy i feel like we just yep. started safe travels brother all right, I'll see, see you, you in out a in days. Utah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching. See ya.